Good afternoon, everyone. I am calling the um, March, what date is today? Ooh. March 9th um, Student Success and Policy Committee meeting to order at 1.32. All right, um, Linda, could you please take the roll? Chair Chisty. Present. Trustee Green. Not yet present. Trustee Ben Chung. Present. Student Trustee Villalobos. Present. You have quorum. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, as a practice, um, I would also like to start to integrate our land acknowledgement into our meeting um, following the practice of um, Trustee Solomon. And I'd like to um, ask Student Trustee Villalobos if he could support me in reading the land acknowledgement. Uh, yes. Land acknowledgement statement. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous steward of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the, as the caretakers of this place, and as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you so much. All right, I'm going to move over to public comment and I'm going to read the public comment notice. Public comment for this meeting will be taken on each item as it is discussed. Requests to make public comment must be submitted in advance no later than 30 minutes before the start of the meeting via email to publiccomment at ccsf.edu or via phone to 669-444-1266. Please submit the following name, meeting name and date, agenda item number, phone number if participating by phone. At the appropriate time, the speaker will be unmuted. Please note that public comment on items on the agenda will be called at the time of the item. At this time, we'll take public comment on items not on the agenda. Linda, do we have any public comment on items not on the agenda? No, we do not. Great, I'm gonna move over to our meeting minutes. Um, if we need a few minutes to review, we can- Chair, sure, I noticed uh, Trustee Green is here. I'll note that. Okay, thank you. Um, do I have a motion to approve the minutes? Uh, Move to approve the minutes. Second. Great. Um, a motion made by student trustee Villalobo, seconded by trustee Chung. Um, if we are, oh, do we have any public comment on the minutes? No, we do not. All right. Um, can we please take roll call? Chair Tisti? Aye. Trustee Green? Aye. Trustee Van Chung? Aye. Student Trustee Villalobos? Aye. The motion passes. Wonderful. I'm going to move over um, to our reports and discussion. Yes. Sure. Um, may I just uh, ask if, um, if Linda can start with the student trustee for the recommendation uh, vote first? Yes. Thank you for that. Um, so let's go ahead and go over to item A, which is on dual enrollment. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Chancellor Murphy. Uh, thank you very much, Chair Chisty. And we are uh, queuing up a presentation this afternoon from uh, Dr. Lee, 
our interim vice chancellor of academic affairs, but uh, this is a very timely presentation because as we start building next year's instructional uh, schedule, uh, committing and uh, really enhancing our dual enrollment program is something I know we are interested in as well as San Francisco Unified. Uh, additionally, uh, Dr. Lee and his team has started a standing meeting with representatives from San Francisco Unified to start building into hopefully a bigger dual enrollment program here in the coming years. And all of that will be encompassed as well as opportunities for question and answer at the end from the trustees uh, in the presentation. So with that said, I'll pass it off to Dr. Lee. Thank you, Chancellor Martin, uh, and thank you, uh, trustees, uh, for uh, requesting this information because uh, we have good news to share. And certainly, just to echo Chancellor Martin's comments, we are definitely doing everything we can to strengthen our partnership with Unified. Uh, and again, I'll just uh, provide uh, the first, uh, you know, couple of minutes in terms of highlights. Uh, I'll turn it over then to Dean Make Hudson to provide more specific operational information, and then I'll close uh, this presentation by sharing next steps. Uh, but again, I just want to say that uh, this partnership is one that we care a lot about. Uh, we, again, uh, want to make sure that uh, we problem solve together, we troubleshoot whatever issues that they are experiencing, and to, of course, remove barriers uh, and, and, of course, uh, just find solutions together. So I'll, I'll just start by saying that um, we, let's go to the second uh, slide. We have had our first retreat. This is the first in a long, long time uh, with SF Unified uh, on February 8th last month. Uh, we met at one of their uh, schools. Uh, there were about 20 of us in attendance. Uh, we met with five of them and we're gonna continue our conversations uh, next month. So when we met on February 8th, again, we discussed uh, specifically dual enrollment, how we can, again, better support them in terms of their needs and requests. Uh, we talked about credit recovery, transitional studies. Uh, we also talked about how can we be partners when we apply for grants. So those were the three topics that we covered. Uh, and again, uh, there are other additional topics we're going to be covering next month. Um, but again, I just want to say that um, a lot of conversations really evolved around what can we do now uh, in terms of forging this new chapter. Um, again, we believe, and this is a term that we use, SF Unified students are our students, our CCSF students. We want to strengthen our pipeline uh, and to make sure that uh, we create whatever pathways we can to make it easier for them to, of course, take to enroll, uh, to be dual enrollment uh, students and to, of course, come to us uh, if, if that's the best choice for them after high school. Um, in terms of big picture next month's meeting agenda, we're going to be talking about how we can um, create a two plus two plus two specifically. How can we create a two plus two with unified with a focus on our ethnic studies um, programs? So this is a conceptual um, framework in terms of they now have a coordinator for ethnic studies. They're trying to boost their uh, ethnic studies um, you know, programs and offerings. So how can we get those students uh, involved and how can we get them again to come to us if those students again want to pursue certificates and, and, and degrees in ethics studies uh, and, and of course just to make it easier for students to know at the high school uh, that uh, you know we are a great option for them. We're going to talk about wraparound student support services primarily with registration. We're going to explore how we can make that process easier uh, and of course how can we get uh, you know high touch uh, high impact practices uh, in place. We're going to also talk about, you know, some issues that they have been frustrated with, um, and certainly we want to make it easier so that, again, um, it, it, it's just 
a, a better partnership. Again, for the last several years, the partnership's there, but we have not really strengthened it in a way that we're going to be strengthening it moving forward. Um, the, the, the last thing I'll say is that um, I have been in frequent contact with Nicole Priestley, my counterpart. She is the chief instructional officer uh, at Unified, and we have had regular uh, conversations. Uh, I just had a phone call yesterday with uh, their director of the Career Pathways, uh, Teresa Ship, and we're going to work on, again, some of the things that they brought up last month so that we can report back next month at our next retreat. So I'll just uh, start by saying that's the big picture. We certainly want to do everything we can on our end uh, to give them additional instructional allocation. And that's something I can uh, certainly say more about later. So at this point, um, let's advance to the next slide in terms of uh, the operations, uh, numbers, and statistics, and offerings. I'll turn it over to my colleague, Dean uh, Hudson. Uh, thank you, Vice Chancellor Lee, and good afternoon, everyone. My name is Meg Hudson, and I'm the Dean of Outreach and Community Partnerships, and that includes um, the relationship with SF Unified and high school partnerships in general. Um, so just to start, um, we wanted to provide an overview to you of the different, I guess you'd say, flavors of dual enrollment. Because just like um, they have a very wide variety of high schools, some are large, some are small, some are traditional, some are alternative, uh, we try to provide different models that fit their needs. So starting with um, AB 288, which is also known as the CCAP or College and Career Access Pathways, uh, this um, program allows us to offer courses at the high schools that are closed to the public um, during the school day for the students to make it extremely accessible. And you can see uh, these are some of the current high schools participating in this program and hosting these classes. Um, then we also have some schools that um, want to do things a little differently. They want their students to be dismissed at lunchtime and then actually come to a CCSF campus to experience a college class. Um, and it may be a smaller number, so they um, come into a regular class with adults. And we have students uh, from those three schools participating currently at both Chinatown campus and Ocean. Um, then we also have schools, um, mostly Lincoln High School, where um, they, they prefer to have classes uh, after school, but they are open to the public. They're mostly high school students, but they also allow community members to join in those classes. Um, then also, um, we have a lot of students who are really accessing City College on their own with very little um, so, you know, not not the cohorted models that I've just mentioned, but individual students coming to City College. And we we generally refer to that as concurrent enrollment um, that's going on. And then finally, the credit recovery um, that is a very strong partnership that we've had for many years with our transitional studies department where the students are taking non-credit classes to make make up credits from their high school. Uh, next slide, please. 
So just to give you an idea of the range of, of courses that we offer in some in these various models, um, this gives you some examples. Um, some of the purposes that uh, for the schools requesting certain courses. Um, they may be pathways that are part of a um, CTE program. For example, uh, the first class there, Introduction to Construction, is part of an existing um, construction trades program at O'Connell High School. The students take high school courses, but then they strengthen their pathway with a college course. Um, but then we also have a lot of uh, schools that are requesting general ed classes like psychology, ethnic studies, language classes, where the students are getting a jump start on transfer requirements by taking general ed. Uh, next slide. And just to give you an idea, we've been, you know, we've worked together with SF Unified for many years, and we have certain ways that we are coordinating the program um, that I wanted to kind of give you an overview of. Um, we do have two partnership agreements. Um, we are required or uh, mentioned the CCAP classes at the high schools. We're required to have a partnership agreement approved by both boards um, and renewed uh, every so, so often um, for those classes. So that's one of our partnership agreements. But then we also have one for all other types of dual enrollment, which are either outside of the school day or at our, our sites. Um, and so that's in existence as well. Um, we work with SF Unified on a course request pro process where they work with their high schools to to um, kind of funnel all of their requests in a more organized way. And then we meet with their representatives to plan the classes. Um, and then we also have a jointly funded program assistant who's helping with coordination on the enrollment steps. Um, and then at each of the high schools, when they request uh, courses, they have a point person who's like who's a coordinator with our instructor to kind of help that person um, with their SFUSD um, facilities and other kinds of issues that might come up with student attendance and that kind of thing to help. Um, and then finally, we have some professional development materials that we've created along with SF Unified to help our CCSF instructors um, orient to teaching high school courses. Um, and then just to give you um, some data on our the number of students, and this is all high school students over these uh, four years, you can see that the program uh, was increasing to nearly 2000 students by 1920. Um, things kind of changed over the pandemic, but uh, pre-pandemic, we were really, um, things were going very strong. Uh, we had students that uh, were able to enroll in 3,262 course, courses um, and completing at 85% with a C or better. Um, and then finally, the count of unique courses that all of the high school students were taking was about 300 per year. Um, and then with our demographics, um, you can see that uh, 
we have uh, we were kind of as we were moving towards um, having more classes in the high schools, our demographics were changing a bit where um, primarily at, in 2016 to 17, we had a lot of um, a lot more Asian students. Um, but as we progress to having more classes at the various high schools that represented the different um, demographics across the city, um, our percentages changed slightly. Um, and they really, by 2021, they were a little more reflective of the population of SF Unified. Um, next slide. And then this shows uh, the FTES um, for high school students. And you can see that um, it really is a pretty, still a pretty small percentage of the overall FTES for, this, for the college. Um, it's, a, it's only about one and a half percent for credit, um, whereas for non-credit, it's closer to 5% because of our uh, strong credit recovery program. But we still you know, have some ways to grow where um, we, can we can admit more high school students. And we are constantly working on that um, and growing the program. Um, and some of our goals, um, I think uh, the CCAP or College and Career Access Pathways really emphasizes um, having a, a coordinated program from high school to college where the students are either earning a certificate or you know, getting on a pathway towards college and career. And some of our successes have been, um, these are a couple examples. Um, the emergency medical technician program. Um, the students take those classes at Galileo High School and Mission High School. And then when they graduate, they that summer when they graduate, they actually take courses at John Adams to get their certification, their EMT certification. So that is a, a true pathway from uh, high school to college. And then likewise, we've had a, uh, some traction with our child development program, which is very popular with the high school students. And we actually have um, students taking those child development classes during the summer following graduation, and then they get preparation to work in after school programs at SF Unified. Mm -hmm. And do you want me to? I'll continue. Um, so as um, VC Lee mentioned, uh, we're working on mapping additional pathways from high school to college, um, including the two plus two plus two model, which is um, also looping in San Francisco State. So that's very exciting. Um, and then one of the one of the items that will really help our partnership and our scheduling is if the high schools can have more common schedules so that the students can all come to a central location to take the courses. Um, and then, as mentioned, we're holding retreats and other partnership meetings to um, really look at these issues and problem solve and strengthen the partnership. Um, and then also, as mentioned, uh, the instructional allocation has increased to meet the needs. Thank you, Meg. 
we'll be happy to take questions. Again, I, I know Megan and I shared a lot, uh, but yes, we'll be happy to answer uh, any questions you may have. Awesome. Thank you so much, VC Lee and Dean Hudson. Um, I also want to um, acknowledge our academic Senate president, Mitra Sapienza, has joined us. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I am, before I open this up for discussion, I wanted to um, see if we had any public comment, Linda. No, there's no public comment. All right. I will turn it over to my colleagues for discussion and questions. Student trustee Villalobos. Yes, well, first of all, thank you, VC Lee and Dean Hudson for your presentation and the information. Um, one or uh, two things. Uh, as far as costs for students at these high schools, is there any kind of costs that are coming out of pocket, um, especially for like textbooks or anything like that? Um, that's question one. Um, I can answer that. Um, so part of the agreement is that SF Unified will provide the textbooks on loan to the students if they're offering, if they are offering a class at their high school or a cohorted class, they, they do. And then there are no tuition fees for any high school student. Well, th that's, uh, that's a relief because for, for students, that's, that's one of the basic needs, um, addressing the basic needs. Yeah. Uh, another, uh, a, more of a comment is that I'm, I'm looking at the, the enrollment courses um, as far as what you offer. And uh, actually, let me, let me see. It is, yes. For the enrollment, for the courses that are offered, through our campuses, uh, I see here Chinatown, Ocean. Do we? Is there a way that uh, the district or the SFUSD provides transportation to our facilities, or or is there something that we're doing to help students get here? So for the for those classes that were the early dismissal classes, where a cohort of students. Um, come from their high school after lunch to take the class, then uh, yes, SF Unified does provide um, transportation for those students. Um, and, and lastly, um, I, I think throughout um, the Frisco day or Frisco week activities that we've been a part of as, as student leaders, we've gotten to see students that take dual enrollment classes. And, and so they're, they're familiar with the campus and the campus structure, which makes it easier for them to transition into our district. So, so uh, yeah. great job. Thank you. Trustee uh, Villalobos, I just want to also note that uh, we have on April 15th, a CC, uh, CCSF Connect Day on campus. Uh, it's a Saturday. So, so we are inviting lots of folks to, to come to, again, like you said, uh, to, you know, come to campus, uh, meet some folks, uh, learn about different programs, uh, and just get a, a sense of what it's like to be on a college campus. So, so that, that uh, again, CCSF Connect is coming up again uh, on, on April 15th, and I can certainly try to find a flyer and drop it in the chat. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing any other hands or, oh, okay, go ahead, Trustee Chung. 
Um, yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, Chair. I wanted to just ask really quickly, Dean Hudson, can you clarify again um, how the course request process occurs? So who submits the request and who? what is the body that reviews the request? I, I can start it and Meg, certainly feel free to chime in because you have more of the details. So in our uh, recent conversations, we're asking uh, the, the, the folks, uh, again, the you know, Nicole Priestley and her staff to let us know what the students are asking to take and what courses we should be offering. So we are getting a list from them uh, and we work with them in terms of identifying, uh, again, our faculty uh, and getting that commitment to teach at the high schools or whatever arrangements that that they're looking for us to to provide. So we are the provider. They give us a, a list and we do our best to make sure that we can make that commitment to them. Go ahead, student trustee Villalobos. Uh, just going through the courses again, um, as far as the, the school site based courses like ethnic studies, being that ethnic studies is a requirement in the high schools and in the community college system, um, do you do you feel that we have enough course sections being offered for these uh, for these different campuses, whether it be in our district or at SFUSD? Uh, that, that's a great question. Again, uh, we asked uh, them to give us a list and, and make and speak to the list that they provided us in terms of what they'd like us to offer this fall. Scheduled development, as you know, is happening now. Uh, again, for the fall, we have increased um, one FTEF to the offering uh, for the fall. In terms of the spring 24, we're increasing it by two FTEF. So essentially, by uh, for fall, we are going to have five additional classes we could offer to them. Uh, and for spring, we're going to be giving them additional 10 classes. So to answer your question, we ask them to let us know, uh, and, and we do whatever we can right with our deans and department chairs to, to identify faculty to, 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 to have those, those classes, uh, again, be offered at their locations, or if it's an early dismissal class, then they would come to us. So it just depends on, on what they're telling us. And again, at this point in time, we're open to any ideas that they have. Of course, we're limited in terms of um, who can teach uh, particular courses, uh, but we're going to, of course, do everything we can to make sure that, uh, you know, their, their lists are the lists that we're going to be able to, again, support and, and not only support for, for one semester, but support moving forward. So again, this is a long-term strategy so that they know and they can count on us to offer those courses year after year, semester after semester. Thank you. Great. I'm going to add, um, I'm going to put myself in stack to ask some questions as well. Um, so I, is there a reason that we do not have the 21-22 data? So, so, so I, I, I can share that um, at this point, um, uh, again, because of uh, the pandemic, we still need to sort of assess what are the accurate numbers for that. It is going to be lower than the 1920-2020 data, but we are going to get that to you. Uh, it's, I'm sorry that we, we weren't able to get that uh, by today. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think that's a it's an important comparison point that we need for this discussion, and so it, it would be it would have been helpful to have it. Um, and the other thing that I want uh, there's two things. The next thing that I'd like to understand is the um, the funding streams for this. 
So um, like how much is allocated for dual enrollment or currently and how is it being like, what are the funding mechanisms for this? So, so, uh, so, so we um, have a pot of money that we, again, would allocate for SFUSD uh, in terms of the instructional uh, allocation memo that went out. Uh, again, we have, we're allocating four FTEF for the fall, which is roughly 20 classes, dual enrollment classes. And we have allocated five FTEF for spring 24, which is roughly 25 classes. So it is a plus three FTEF increase from this year and last year. Um, and again, we hope to have at least 20 students in each of the, the, the 20 classes, each of the 25 classes uh, that, that we're gonna be offering. But again, they're also having some enrollment issues as well. It's hard for them to find 20 students for us to, to fill up that, that uh, CCSF class that we're offering. So they're working to get their students enrolled and we're working to make sure that we have enough staffing, uh, enough instructional faculty to, 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 to again, uh, teach those classes. Thank you for that. But just to um, clarify, like how much is spent on dual enrollment and is it, how is it paid for? Which assembly it's, bill um, in terms of categorical funding, if somebody knows? Yeah, Meg, if you want to chime in, feel free to. Uh, again, we have this out of our U fund. Uh, and again, there are additional pots of money, but Meg, uh, feel free to chime in. Um. Yes, I mean, the courses are through the course funding is through our U fund. Um, I guess you could say we have some other supplemental funding, like, for instance, my my salary is uh, grant funded and um, maybe some other some other resources, the the jointly funded program assistant. We're funding um, our portion through a grant, um, but primarily it is the U funding for the courses. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I just want to add that, you know, we do have an allocation that is transitional studies credit recovery allocation as well. Uh, and that is roughly 8.8 um, .8 for the year, for the academic year. So, so again, it is um, a, a good amount of instructional allocation going to, again, uh, the dual enrollment classes and the credit recovery transitional studies classes. Okay, I, I think I still am unclear on a final amount, but that's okay. We can maybe follow up on that um, because I would imagine, right, like some of the AB288, there must be money associated with that that's being shared. And then I think there's also money through AB19 that must be going into this. And what I'm trying to get at is that I believe this program's and we've talked about this a bit in the past, but I believe this program started with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation originally that helped support this partnership and that funding ended. Um, and I, I feel that there's opportunity um, to increase funding for dual enrollment. Um, and you know, whether that's in a, in a partnership with SFUSD and we're going together to the city and county, trying to lock in some local dollars. Um, but I think without having a clear understanding of how much we're spending on it currently, like we can't figure out how much more, like how much more we should allocate and then what we can do with that money. 
um, in terms of outreach or, um, you know, increasing participation, because it seems like, you know, this is a great way that's a, it's a win-win. Um, and then I think the other thing I'd love to learn more about the two plus two plus two model. And again, originally in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, SF State was involved in that and they dropped out of that partnership. Um, so um, I'm, uh, we can talk about the two plus two if we have time, but um, I also wanted to ask about the demographics. So um, I, I so it seems I, I don't have a clear understanding of what SFUSD's student population is. Um, and in relative to the schools that are presented, so I can't kind of tell how we're faring in terms of representation. Um, but I did do a little bit of homework beforehand, and it seems like the group that we can do a better job of recruiting are our um, Black or African-American students. And I think SFUSD has approximately 9%, something like that. I found there, there's a data tool online around how to improve um, dual enrollment. So it seems like that's an area that we should be um, looking to figure out how we can recruit um, more of our Black or African-American students to participate in dual enrollment because it's also, you know, I think it's it's a great program. So mm -hmm. I don't know if there's been conversation around that with SFUSD. Um, so if you could please chime in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I can bring that up uh, at our uh, next retreat on April 5th. Uh, we did look at demographics uh, a little bit uh, last month when we had our first retreat. Uh, I know that uh, some of the comments that were shared had to do with um, Pacific Islanders uh, specifically. Uh, a good 75% of Pacific Islanders uh, at, the, at, the, at the Unified are not coming back to take classes. And, and that's very alarming. So, so we are going to continue to look at our demographics. We, again, we rely on our, our, our Unified uh, partners to, to sort of help gauge how we can do more. Again, their students are our students. So we, we're using this tagline, our students, how can we help our students succeed in, in you know, at the high school level? And of course, when they come to us, but, but yeah, I would definitely bring this up uh, in uh, on, on April 5th. Great. And, and just one last thing that I will say is that I think, um, I don't know how many of the dual enrollment students end up enrolling at City College because in theory, they can go to any college that they, that they want to, but I would be curious to know um, of those students, how many end up enrolling? Um, I think that on average, um, 1,000 SFUSD students enroll at City College. So of those, I'd be curious to know how many were in dual enrollment. Um, and it's almost like, you know, there's like this invisible pipeline. And um, and then I think those students also go on to SF State. Um, so you know, I we San Francisco doesn't have a promise program. I think we have the elements of a promise program, but it's not like solidified. So I'd be kind of curious to delve into this a little bit more. Um, but I, you know, you're doing great work. So thank you so much. And I will stop. So um, I think I saw Trustee Chung, and then I'm going to turn it over to um, Student Trustee Villalobos. And I just want to um, second uh, Chair Chisti's comment about really improving our efforts to reach the student equity groups. I think um, I was, and this is in the secondary report about the Free City Program, but I saw some really comparable numbers and how essentially, you know, we're really not reaching those Black and Brown communities. And um, 
I'm hoping that sort of conversation is bridged in, in these joint retreats as well as um, through the Free City um, Committee. Um, I also just want to actually briefly comment as well on um, the question about dual enrollment, because I saw a lot about after schools. But um, does, does this model also include summer courses that, that high school students take? Because I, I assume that a great way for us to really maximize enrollment is a easy, no conflict scheduling, um, right? Uh, process for, for summer courses. Um, is, can uh, <laughs> Jesse or Meg answer yeah, that? Uh, yes, I can answer that. Uh, yes, we do have a, a robust summer program in conjunction with SF Unified. And um, SF Unified really um, does a great job of pairing our courses with um, internship experiences for the students in various areas. Uh, child development is a big one where the students are taking um, child development courses with us. And then they're also working in their the summer school, uh, elementary school programs in their district. So they're really getting you know hands-on as well as the um, coursework. Um, we they also do that in some other areas, um, construction and health are a couple other areas. So yes, it is a great opportunity. And then we have a lot of um, concurrent enrollment students in the summer as well coming to our campus. I uh, yes, I, I I would also like to third that. Uh, those sentiments as far as like numbers of the especially with the equity groups and definitely closing the gap on the equity groups um, is very crucial and and so I would like to also listen uh, when the time comes to those concrete ideas on how do we promote these uh, the dual enrollment program uh, through SFUSD through uh, our district and through the community, um, especially with the partnerships that we built mm -hmm. uh, externally and internally, and the support that we have from our faculty and the faculty there at S SFUSD. Absolutely. And I just want to echo that uh, again, uh, we are the community college district for SFUSD. Uh, and I know there were some some uh, other attempts to go outside of our uh, CCSF um, district uh, to 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 work with other community colleges. And again, I've had conversations with those, uh, you know, chief instructional officers that SFUSD uh, courses students. Um, it's something that we are going to do our best to provide. So SFUSD also knows that uh, they cannot be going to Skyline or other, um, you know, colleges uh, to try to capture uh, their dual enrollment needs. So certainly, uh, I, I think taking an honest assessment, we need to do a better job. Uh, and we're working to strengthen our relationship. I think that's why we're having these retreats. Uh, and again, the April 5th retreat is the next one, but we plan to have at least two or three, uh, you know, every year just to continue the conversation. And you're right, uh, we definitely need to do more to promote dual enrollment. And certainly, how can we address uh, those, 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 um, those, those uh, lingering issues, right, for, for, uh, with our, you know, um, uh, you know um, demographics? Because again, it's it, it's it's something that's that's been persisting for a while. We just need to come up with a better plan to really get them through the pipeline. I see President Sapienza. Thank you, Chair. 
Uh, Chisti, hi everyone. Um, hi, Dean Hudson. Um, very exciting. Thanks for the info. I just, um, as as some people know, I'm a big proponent of internal outreach. So how faculty um, who are uh, in various programs can, you know, as they um, teach the courses and and create hopefully create really productive learning environments that that can in and of itself be a form of outreach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I just was curious about, you know, that side of this is how many faculty are involved and if there's, um, you know, what kind of community is built within the, the dual enrollment faculty spaces. Um, obviously something that uh, would the academic senate would love to partner in, but I, I wanted to see if we could get a, a sense of, of um, those who are working in the classroom with with these students and how how we might be able to strengthen that from the inside of the classroom. That, that's a great question, uh, President Sapienza. Uh, so, so specifically tomorrow, uh, I'm, I'm having a meeting with uh, Dean Gregory Cahill. Uh, Dean Greg Cahill is the Dean overseeing uh, Transitional Studies. So we're going to have conversation with our Transitional Studies Chair uh, to look at uh, summer credit recovery, to look at our Transitional Studies courses. So specifically, uh, our Transitional Studies uh, Department has seven full-time faculty and other part-time faculty. So we're going to look at how can we, uh, again, address the, the, the needs and concerns um, with regard to, to our partnership, uh, I know that there were some, you know, issues in terms of, um, you know, improving the 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 the, the experience of, of uh, SF Unified students. So we're going to have a conversation tomorrow, and it's going to be a series of conversations. Uh, again, looking specifically at how can we um, internally, faculty, staff, and administrator can can do what we can do on our end to make sure that it's a more positive experience for 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 the students that we're we're serving. Um, of course, um, there are other other faculty that teach outside of transitional studies, and I don't have that information right now, but I know that um, we usually go to the same folks or the folks who haven't uh, expressed interest in wanting to teach uh, at the high schools. So, so again, we certainly reach out to them uh, through our deans and department chairs to say, hey, here's an opportunity to teach this dual enrollment class. Who would be interested and how can we, again, schedule uh, work with your schedule so that they can make it to, again, Mission High School, for example, and come back to teach here on campus or, or teach, uh, you know, online. So, so again, we try to work with their schedules to the best of our ability. Thank you so much, Vice Chancellor Lee. Um, if the Academic Senate can help yep. um, with this, I think training is really important for faculty to understand that it's a different demographic, potentially. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. All right, I want to keep us moving along. Thank you so much. So just to just to kind of close the loop, I think there was still some um, outstanding questions around the budget, twenty one twenty two data, um, and then I also had an outstanding question around the two plus two plus two model. So if we can just kind of make note of that, that would be great. Um, all right, let's. And I think you know we're you know I think. Trustee Chung also alluded to this, you know, there's also an opportunity for us to think out of the box. And like, I think the free city presentation as the next item is a perfect segue to see if there's any um, strategic and innovative partnerships or solutions or things that we should be thinking about. So um, let's uh, go to the free city partnership. I'll turn it over to you, um, Chancellor Martin. 
Uh, thank you uh, once again, Chair Chisty. I will uh, give a moment for our uh, Free City uh, representative, uh, Dr. Lisa Cooper Wilkins, who serves on the uh, Free City uh, Citywide uh, Committee and Oversight Committee. And she has prepared a presentation that was recently uh, presented to the uh, Citywide Oversight Committee and would be happy to answer any questions uh, shortly thereafter. So I'll pass it over to Dr. Cooper Wilkins. Good afternoon, everyone. And um, I am also going to invite additional colleagues to join me. Um, both Mike Lean Pontius, a researcher from our um, institutional uh, research and effectiveness area to join us, as well as Kelly Karen Jeff, who join us, who is the author of the um, 2021 um, Free City End of Year Report. And so I thought it first might be helpful to take a look at the report. Sorry, you did have it right the first time. <laughs> um, just to see if um, Kelly could just give us a high level overview of what the report contains and to see if there were any questions. Um, that members of the board um, might have for the committee in general. Sure, and if you uh, want, I can actually share a few slides. I don't know if that's possible for me to do that summarize the report just so we have visuals. Um, let's see, do I have that capability? Sure. Yes, you do. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. Thank you. Um, so do you all see the slides? We do. Yes. Not um, in slideshow mode yet though. Give okay. me one second. Here we go. Okay. There we go. Um, so um, thank you all for the opportunity to share this data from the 2020, 2021 year. Um, and of course, we need to keep in mind the context that we're talking about at the time that um, these data were developed. This is, you know, year two-ish of COVID. Um, so you can see um, some of the impacts of the pandemic on both the annual headcount uh, as well as uh, free city participation. Um, generally speaking here, you see over the course of that academic year, about 70% of credit students participated in free city in some way. So that means they either received a tuition waiver um, and or a cash grant, depending on their um, income eligibility and their completion of a FAFSA. Um, just for kind of uh, benchmarking sake, roughly 75% of credit students are eligible for these benefits. So slight gap between um, the percent that are accessing these benefits over the course of an entire academic year and those who are eligible. Um, when we look at uh, each term, um, and I'm sorry, I'm having some driving issues. Um, the term by term data is a, reveals a bit of an opportunity. So this data shows us that 
there are slightly fewer students than over the course of the year accessing these benefits each term. So while there's roughly 75% eligible, we have around 60-ish percent accessing them each term. And uh, what it just reveals is that there may be some opportunities to support students and knowing that they have to apply each semester for the benefits um, and not just on an annual basis. In terms of the type of free city support students are uh, receiving, roughly um, half of credit students are, are receiving a fee waiver. Tuition fees are being waived um, based on their residency um, in San Francisco. Another smaller percent of credit students are receiving, in addition to the fee waiver, a cash grant. And those grants are in the amount of $46 per unit. And again, it's based on their income eligibility and their submission of a FAFSA. Um, so it just shows that there may be an opportunity to also increase the number and percent of students who are accessing those cash grants um, over the course of the year. And one of the reasons we, we think that, you know, fewer students are receiving those benefits is because the, the percent of the credit student population that's actually submitting a FAFSA is fairly low and has been pretty stable um, over the, since the program launched in 2017-2018. You see each year roughly 30% of credit students submitting a, a FAFSA. So with the increase in students submitting FAFSAs and perhaps being deemed income eligible, there may be more students who are able to, to secure those cash grants in, in addition to the tuition waiver. In terms of equity student participation in Free City, there is a persistently lower percentage accessing these benefits compared to their non-equity peers. Um, so again, much like the conversation that you all just had about dual enrollment and, and outreach to the community about these options and opportunities at the college, there may also be here a chance to share with certain communities and partner in certain communities the uh, raising awareness of these opportunities at the college to attend for free and and perhaps not just attend for free but also receive some additional cash support for their higher education in terms of uh units uh attempted and earned the good news is that we do see free city participants attempting slightly more units than their non-free city peers and they're completing those units or earning those units at uh, similar rates. Um, there was some initial concern when the program launched that perhaps the participants in the program might not uh, stick with their courses or complete their units at the same um, rates and this is not borne out. So. The good news is that we do see 
uh, uh, unit attainment rates that are on par with their their peers who are not in the program. Um, in terms of awards in the 2020-21 academic year, uh, free city participants earned roughly 75% of the awards that were granted by the college, which is a, a positive trend. Um, again, uh, area of opportunity is that the proportion of those awards earned by uh, students in an equity group were was lower. Um, so just quickly, um, you know, when we look at this data and we look at the data over the past few years, there are a handful of, of opportunities that really do stand out, uh, specifically, you know, free city, free tuition. It, it is one aspect of a broader uh, kind of approach to addressing student access and retention and completion from a student financial stability perspective. Uh, you know, tuition won't address all of the barriers, the financial barriers to students accessing and, and persisting. So, uh, you know, it, there's an opportunity to think about how Free City is packaged as part of a broader effort to address students' concerns about finances and um, ensure they feel like it's possible to both attend and stay at the school. Um, there's some really exciting work that the college is planning that I, I will let Dr. Cooper Wilkins mention about a partnership potentially with the RP group, but you know, really beginning to look at how to center um, equity in the program and set some specific goals and um, pair some specific metrics with those um, with those goals is an area of opportunity too in terms of beginning to think about if you know we're going to close those equity gaps in terms of free city access and um, but that's on the horizon. Um, marketing free city as part of the uh, you know kind of a as an opportunity to increase enrollment and stabilize enrollment, not just the tuition waiver, but potentially those cash grants for those who qualify is another area of opportunity. Um, certainly complete uh, strengthening FAFSA completion and, and particularly for non-traditional students, um, you know, on the near horizon is the mandate that all high school graduates will be completing a FAFSA. So when we think about you know city colleges students, the the vast you know the large majority are coming um, who are coming to the college are non quote non traditional age. So they're they're likely not going to be in that group that are going to be completing the FAFSA as part of their high school um, graduation requirements. So really thinking about how to reach those non traditional populations. Um, doo -doo -doo. I think I'm gonna just end it there and I'm happy Thanks. to answer any questions. So much, Kelly. I'm gonna go ahead and go to the presentation and hopefully you can stay yeah. for a few minutes. Um, we can take all the questions maybe at the end. And, uh,
I can share my screen for the presentation. Are you all seeing the free city uh, report? Yes. Okay, great. Um, so this is, uh, as Chancellor Meyer mentioned, an update that I just recently provided to the Free City Oversight Committee, and it um, provides just an update on the students who participated in Free City in the fall. Um, uh, provides information about the financial aid metrics for the fall semester, and then just some. Uh, there was an opportunity for uh, Kelly to provide a update about the annual report, which he's already done. And then um, we'll talk a little bit about the continued partnership with the RP group. Um, so the first slide um, provides information about program participation. Um, and Mike Lean is here and might be better positioned to talk a little bit about the trends of this data, how it is um, presents relative to um, prior years. Um, because there is similarities in the data across, say, the comparable semester, the fall semester and prior years, as well as um, spring semester enrollment. Um, and so just gives you an idea of uh, the number of participants and the amount of funds used. Um, again, that Kelly gave a really good overview in the end of year report for, for 2021, but this is obviously a report um, about the student participation in the spring. Um, also, um, what the enrollment uh, levels were in terms of the number of units um, that students um, uh, were enrolled in uh, for each of the semesters in the 2022 year. For the financial aid, this just gives a real broad overview of the number of students um, enrolled in the particular semester, those who applied for financial aid um, through our sort of our financial aid office, so through the FAFSA or DREAM Act process, and then how much aid was awarded. You see a very large number in the spring semester, and that is because of the um, awarding of her funds. So just so that you understand why that number is so much uh, larger than other semesters. And Kelly just gave the 2021 report. And so what we have talked about in terms of getting us back on par, because you asked a similar question about data in dual enrollment um, in terms of it, us being caught up. Um, so the 2020, I'm sorry, the 21-22 report is in, uh, will be given at the spring oversight committee meeting. Um, I know that we're still setting the date for that sometime in April. And then we would um, do a catch up report in the fall. So we'd be caught up to the 2022, 23 year with an annual report um, for that year in the fall semester that would be given to the oversight committee, likely sometime in October or November. And then subsequently every year after that, we would be providing an annual update of reports in the fall semester to the oversight committee. So just to let folks know what the strategy was there. And certainly moving forward in those annual reports, starting with the 23-24 year, the goal would be to 
um, embed in those reports sort of the equity impacts that will be based on the work that we'll continue to do with the RP group, which is related to the development of very specific um, you know, equity uh, metrics um, for the program. Um, and right now we're in the um, process of identifying the dates for those uh, two retreats this spring. Um, Dr. Al Solano is gonna be the facilitator for our retreat. And I just provided the link where folks can go and take a look at his bio and, and look at his strategy. But one of the things that we know will be really important part of this process is to align it with um, CCSF's equity plan. Um, and so we are um, doing some sort of foundational work in terms of thinking about what that would look like. Um, we'll certainly provide that uh, plan to the oversight committee for their consideration. And then I think part of the strength of the retreat will also in be ensuring that we have CCSF um, uh, individuals as a part of the retreat as well, um, particularly folks who are familiar with the equity plan um, to help support um, uh, people's understanding of the, the critical nature of that information um, and to help work together to formulate strategies um, that will come out of thinking about equity intentionally um, as a part of the program delivery. So again, we're identifying the, the two retreat dates um, we also want to be very broad in our invitation to include folks from the college to participate. Um, the a number of our student affairs uh, leadership uh, team was a part of doing some work with the RP group when they were here the first time writing the equity impact and technical report for us um, so that they could share their thoughts about ways that we could think about elevating um, the Free City program. So I think it's really important to have those folks and others be a part of this process as well. Um, and then that we would engage in an annual sort of um, review, if you will, um, and revisiting the goals and certainly assessing the outcomes from those over the next few years. So this is a multi-year project um, with Free City and um, ideally with Kelly in terms of the reporting. And so I think the oversight committee is really excited about this opportunity, um, much like um, yourselves, they've um, had great ideas about ways that we could think about um, um, augmenting the program. Part of what we appreciated about the last um, Free City, I'm sorry, RP group report was that they did compare um, promise programs across the country and elements of successful programs and shared that information. And so those are the kinds of things that we'll be able to consider. But again, taking a look at other promise program models, um, definitely aligning you know, future goals and outcomes to our, uh, our equity plan, um, thinking about what additional staffing and administrative oversight is necessary for the program, um, I think is key. What additional support services um, and other kinds of just-in-time sort of wraparound support can we make available. Um, this idea of how we strongly encourage, you know, the completion of FAFSA and the uh, California DREAM Act application, but not re necessarily require it as a barrier, but certainly this idea of how do people leverage all of the possible financial resources that can support their success. 
and one that isn't missing here, but certainly the oversight committee has also talked about is the need for a marketing strategy for free city, because what is clear is that um, not all the eligible residents of uh, the city are taking advantage of the program. And so I think we are at the point now where we can ask questions. I'm gonna stop share and pause here for questions that folks may have. Thank you so much, Dr. Cooper Wilkins. Um, uh, before I open it up for discussion, Linda, do we have any public comment? No, we do not. All right, I'm going to turn it over to my colleagues and also just doing a time check. We might have to um, continue discussion on this item. I know it's a really important topic, but just kind of having a time check. Um, we're getting close to the end of the meeting. All right. Yep. Go ahead, Trustee Chung. Um, thank you, Chair. I just wanted to quickly ask, um, with the FCC repayments, I, is that the amount that is charged to students for dropping units after the refund deadline, or is that just the total amount that's been refunded because the students overall have dropped the classes? Um, in terms of repayments, students are charged after the deadline to repay. Um, and that, as you know, has been a part of this request to utilize some of the um, reserve funding to, to cover that um, debt, but yes, that is in fact what happened. So um, that number likely reflects that amount that is due by students, yes. Because there are two numbers, you're correct. One is the number of units that they end up not actually receiving by dropping the classes, but the other would be the financial implication of, of dropping after the deadline. Got it, so the amount that's listed in FCC repayments is the amount that's been charged to the students. Yeah, let me just take a look at that again. Could we pull up that slide, please? We can, hold on one moment. Let me just get the PowerPoint back in. get back to that Oops, sorry, I'm too many. Yes, the repayment amount is referring to the financial implication of dropping after classes. Thank, thank you for that clarification, um, Dr. Cooper Wilkins. I, I also just wanted to take a moment and um, I think talking about building FAFSA application literacy is, is really something that's incredibly important when we talk about um, student equity groups, right? I think, like, I remember, I, actually, I can't remember when I was filling out FAFSA, but I just remember feeling very lost <laughs> the entire time as a first-generation college student. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I do, you know, I believe that in, in addition to assisting us with finding funding, um, you know, as as a revenue source, you know, with when it comes to um, skiff and um also really connecting um and being equitable to these students and, and really providing them the opportunities to to have some cash on hand while taking these classes i think it's just a win across all three scenarios mm -hmm. um i i do really want to ask though because i i know when we transitioned when we we're talking about the dual enrollment right clearly those students the student equity groups we really need to be focusing on on, on increasing their um applications for fafsa but when we look at the demographics for people who are using or are participating in our free city program, I, I know that it, it seemed pretty like it was pretty just even right across age groups. And so I wonder 
um, what percentage of these participants actually qualify for FAFSA? Because I'm, I'm wondering if many of them have aged out of it um, or due to degrees um, that they've already attained that they no longer qualify for FAFSA. Um, and do we actually have studies that disaggregate the socioeconomic status of these participants? Because I, I'm wondering, we talk about it a lot, right? We talk mm -hmm. about the high cost of living. Um, it's it's this very, um, but we don't, I don't think we really point at the data to show like, are these students, is it really possible for these students to be enrolling in 12 units every semester? Or is it because they're, you know, because we talk about them being caregivers to parents and to and um, to children to like multi generational households and not being able to do that, but do we actually have the studies to to show that? Right, right. You asked a lot of important questions and one question, <laughs> Trustee Chung, um, and they they are really important questions. I think that it's hard for us to tease out the nuance of every component of the question you just asked, but certainly I think um, because the way that the free city program was initially launched um, was um, regardless of income, just on residency status. Um, and I think there is a way to obtain some of that information. I don't wanna misspeak on that. So I will ask um, maybe Mike Lean to, to chime in here, but I think there is a way to get some of the data, certainly, if we can get more students to fill out the FAFSA, it does provide us um, sort of more comprehensive picture about um, their you know, financial eligibility and socioeconomic status, because otherwise we may not have access to that information. But I'll pause here and I see that you come up. Thanks. Right, a, a lot of that information about income comes from, from FAFSA. Um, so if they've ever filled it out, we have some income information about them to know whether or not they would be categorized as low income. But um, yeah, if they never fill out FAFSA, we then don't know that information. I also just want to note that when we look at the age distribution, um, students who are under 19 and over 60 are the most likely to take advantage of free city. When you look at say students who are in the 25 to 29 age category, they're, they're you know, some of the large, that's one of the largest group of city college students and they are some of the least likely to take advantage of free city. And, so it may be that there's an opportunity there too, um, just to make sure that students who are not coming directly from high school and who may be income eligible in that age group know that this is an option for them, that both the tuition waiver and the cash grant may be an option for them. Yeah, there certainly is an intersection of uh, this need for marketing and promoting the program. And I think something even more um, comprehensive in the way of financial literacy so that people understand what kinds of aid is available to them so that they are making the best choices about um, how to leverage the, 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 the various um, programs and things they might be eligible for. And some of that does just start with completing a FAFSA to just get a sense of what you'd be offered, not required to take obviously, but the comprehensive sort of picture of what's available. 
there are a lot of interesting things happening um, kind of across the country in terms of, you know, looking at ways to mobilize just to, to tag on to what Dr. Cooper Wilkins mentioned, mobilize kind of all available support for students, both public benefits for those who are eligible, as well as traditional sources of aid. Student Trustee Villalobos. Uh, thank you, Chair. Well, thank you for the information that you provided on the Free City Program. Uh, one, one thing that that I it just um, I'm thinking about uh, the numbers of of student the number of students not being able to register or to apply for Free City. I know it was mentioned. I think it was by Kelly. It was mentioned that uh, this is not a, a one time. Uh, thing in this in the year, uh, but it's every semester. And so going back to our system, our, our MyRAM portal system, when you're applying for, when you're registering for classes for each semester, uh, a pop-up comes up saying that uh, there's, it's a, the, C, the free city college pop-up, which is a very minimal uh, rectangle as opposed to all the other you know, things that are happening with MyRAM portal. So you're not able to bypass unless you you acknowledge that. And my question was, as far as we get that at the MyRAM My portal, but do we have something in place when students are registering in person at the different sites, at the, well, at the different centers, um, and they form line at the registration counter? Is there a notice or, you know, in this case, a pop-up to those students that are registering in person that there is this free city college option? That's a great question, Trustee Villalobos. I'll have to find out, but I think regardless if they get the support in person or whether they're doing it themselves online, it's not um, a, a step that can be sort of bypassed in the registration process, but I will confirm that that is in fact the case um, with our admissions and records team. Thank you. I will add myself um, to the stack and then I know we have more questions. Um, thank you so much for the, the presentation. Um, I have so many questions <laughs> um, and I, I I'm really excited to see the report. It was very, very helpful. So thank you so much for putting that together. I guess the first place, well, to go off of um, student trustee Villalobos point, like I do think there's um, an internal system opportunity here that needs to be addressed. And I think that, you know, it's low hanging fruit. And it's something that we can maybe, I don't, I don't know, um, I don't know how long it will take, but something that we can address immediately. And I think, you know, student trustee Villalobos gave a great, asked a great question of essentially, how do we ease the process for students in enrolling in Free City? Because that's, that's really the crux of it. I think there's just, we put the burden on the student to figure it out. And, um, you know, they, they could be foregoing you know, enrolling in this program. Um, so I don't know, like, I don't, is it a bigger pop-up? Is it more sheets of paper? I, I don't know what it is. And I think that's something that for, is for the administration to find a solution to, I think. Um, and the second thing, 
that I will say is that I've also heard from students who said they didn't know that they got a free city grant. Um, so when they get their financial aid package, I don't, I don't know what it looks like. I haven't looked at, you know, it's been a long time, but like, I don't know if it says that you received a free city grant, um, and, or if it's labeled like that. So just something like that could also just help students understand, um, their packages. Um, and then the third thing that I will say is, um, do we have an update on this, on the debt discussion, um, Chancellor Martin? I thank you for the question, Chair Tristy. As of this moment, we don't necessarily have a new update. I do know uh, the mayor's office has connected uh, with different individuals to get more information. Uh, the state, or excuse me, the citywide oversight committee did make the recommendation to the mayor's office, and it is pending uh, mayor approval. If uh, my uh, understanding is correct, and I'll defer to any of the members of the oversight <coughs> committee uh, with corrections to that that statement. And could you remind me, we are asking for a one time. Could you remind me just around the debt? I know I was a part of it. I can't remember. <laughs> yes, if uh, my recollection uh, is correct, we are asking for a one-time use of current free city reserve funds, <clears throat> the outstanding debt for uh, city students, for city residents. Up to what point? Uh, I believe it would be uh, up until uh, or the totality of the outstanding debt. So uh, based on uh, the estimates, uh, if I once again remember correctly, yeah. uh, the total outstanding debt of uh, city residents at the time we ran the numbers last year was approximately $4 million. Uh, and that was spanning a time uh, over approximately 10 years. Uh, so I do believe the request was for that $4 million of total debt to be waived using reserve funds. Chancellor, I, I think that it was adjusted um, and it, it actually covers the, so the time period that the free city program itself went into effect in the 2017, 2018 um, academic year. So it did adjust the, the numbers. Um, and I, I believe that it's a little less than $3 million at this point that the final request to the city. Uh, excellent. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Okay. I guess what I'm trying to get at is if this 2022 group is included. Um, I believe that the fall up through the fall 2022, because we made the request back in the fall was included. Um, and it, the, to your point, it, it may be time to make an adjustment because the spring 22 group would not have been included in the request since we have not heard back at this point to make a, another adjustment to the numbers and resubmit like a more accurate picture if we're trying to do it up through, you know, current time. Right. I mean, I don't know what, um, how we can create some sense of urgency around this. Um, so I would like us to follow up with the mayor's office. I'm kind of unclear as to what the hesitation. I think that it, it wasn't a hesitation. It had something to do with the budget cycle and when the request could be considered, I'm happy to, to follow up. That would be great. Um, and I think um, I, I want to turn it over to student trustee Villalobos. And I think um, trustee Chung as well has another question. Um, but the la um, 
What I do want to say is that I think that we need to open up the discussion around the use of funds because um, we need a solution to why there's so many students that are repaying uh, and, and are dropping. And so, and I think that's two part. First, students need to know that it's not really free, right? Like, you know, if you drop after a certain deadline, you have to pay the money back. So I, and I think that's, again, I'm going to put the burden on us. I don't, I, we need to maybe do a better job communicating that. And that ties into like the free city marketing. Like, I don't think we've, you know, used money to market the program and, um, you know, increasing communication around that is really, really, really important. Um, because when a student has a hold on their account, they can't register again. So and I, I find that really problematic. So I think that's a communication strategy. And at the same time, I think it's relook like taking another look at the MOU and seeing if there's a solution that we can cre- create there. Um, and that's something that's within our control. Um, so, I, you know, I, I guess I wanted to propose, you know, just kind of put that out there. Um, I do have a few other questions, but we're kind of getting close to time. So I want to make space um, for, um, I think that it was uh, Trustee Chung that actually had a question first, and then I'm going to go to student trustee via Lobos. And then I think we might have to consider um, continuing discussion on this item. Um, thank you, Chair. Uh, Dr. Cooper Wilkins, I just wanted to make sure I heard correctly for the retreat that's hosted by the RP group. I, I heard that student affairs department is going to be engaging in it, but I wanted to also confirm that students themselves will also be involved? Yeah, it's, uh, I mentioned student affairs uh, leadership team because many of them are running programs that intersect with Free City. So there would be folks from that, um, the leadership team. Um, So not to the exclusion of students, no. So we do have um, student representatives on Free City and certainly um, would be open to absolutely inviting additional students over and above those that are on the committee to participate. That's it, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Dr. Kubler-Williams. Yes, just going back to uh, uh, Chair or Trustee Chisty on on the importance to uh, finding now where where it is with the the mayor on this this, um, unresolved uh, or pending matter. Uh, because I do, I do, I personally work with students, or I don't know if they're considered students that are not on campus, that are not able to register because of outstanding debt, um, and and waiting. The waiting game gets, you know, gets a little hectic, or you know, it's having to wait another semester to get their fines or their debt clear, and then maybe the summer and and so forth, and and we're just adding on onto every semester comes in because it is it is you know I when I talk about free city I always say free city with a disclaimer you know I have to be very critical on and adding the disclaimer because it's it's not very clear on how um the process or the short process that you need to drop classes in order for you not to pay the state free city and those dates are usually before the regular drop dates uh, for your class not to show up on their transcripts, which are two different dates, and and so um, yeah, if if we need to, if we could find 
ways on on having conversations with the, the mayor or the folks over there and what the process is and if you need student narratives on on why it is important we, we have those absolutely so um and uh, i will ask my colleagues i i feel you know i feel like some of these we again, this is we have a discussion, but it feels like we don't like kind of end the discussion completely. So um, I don't know, based on what we're hearing um, at first, you know, if if my colleagues are open to continuing this discussion on free city. Um, and the second ask I have is Chancellor Martin, would it based on what we've raised and brought up, um, is there some type of proposal or like an action plan or something that you could present to us um you know kind of some of the points that student trustee Villalobos have has brought up some of the things that I've brought up around um debt so uh, certainly I think that the conversations and the the ideas uh, and the additional request would make a wonderful presentation uh, for the April meeting we can definitely put something together for next month does that sound good with everyone? I will look at. And yeah. I, I certainly yes. want to assure you that these are very similar um, uh, conversations and recommendations that the oversight committee themselves um, absolutely want to entertain. So there is not necessarily a disconnect with um, approaches to making changes for the future. Absolutely, and I I, re I really appreciate that. I think. Um, I, I I would like to see, I, I think what I'm looking for is action in the near future. Like I, I would really like to see some of these changes sooner that late than later. Yeah. Um, and think, yeah. yeah. And I think some of it is just the idea about sort of taking a step back to, to using a planful approach to um, incorporating the equity component that is yeah. also maybe made it feel like it's moving a little slower. Yeah, and I think I, I definitely had questions around that as well, but I think I will hold off on them given uh, the time. Um, so thank you again for the presentation. Really appreciate it. I'm going to move us on to um, future agenda items. Yay. Um, are there any items that we would like to add? Yep. yep. Chancellor Martin. <laughs> I was just going to uh, comment for the record that we are preparing a follow-up item uh, regards to student trustee rights and privileges. Uh, so that is something we will have ready for next month. And um, I, I would like to add an item. Um, Oh, Trustee Chung, do you have something? I mean, I just wanted to echo um, the last from from the last mm -hmm. discussion is right. Essentially, a report um, on strategies and timelines for us to improve outreach efforts for student equity groups, right? In yeah. in, in terms of improving enrollment in free city yeah. participation as well as the dual enrollment program. Thank you. Thank you for re reiterating that. Um. The, I would like to uh, request an item related to um, uh, related to I'm drawing a blank on what um, 
food, the, the partnership between food stamps and how we can get more of our students enrolled into CalFresh. And um, that was a discussion that came up at the federal level. I know we have partnerships with HSA around CalWORKs and things like that, but I'm really curious to know, um, is there an opportunity for real systems change in some way? And again, the burden is on the student they can get the information, but then they have to go through all these applications and apply. And again, if a student is applying for FAFSA, most likely they can also be eligible for, for CalFresh. So figuring out if there's any opportunity um, to support students there. Uh, certainly, Chair Justine. I just want to comment that that uh, discussion is very timely because part of the recent uh, legislation that provides student parents with the opportunity to get priority registration, that legislation also included a mandate that community colleges maintain a website that directly connects student parents with those resources. So we're working on building that website. Uh, so this presentation would be very timely. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Linda, do we have um, any public comment? No, we do not. Great. All right. So this adjourned. I'm sorry, Trustee Tristie. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. um, I wanted to ask this group if yeah. um, the April or May meeting would be appropriate to bring an update back from the student success um, support strategies ad hoc committee. I don't think we've given a presentation to this group in a while about the efforts of that group. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Great. All right. So our next meeting is scheduled for Thursday, April 13th. Um, I think the final time will be determined later this month as the board is planning to resume the restructuring conversation at an upcoming meeting. Um, it is 3.01 and we, oh, before we adjourn, I wanted to give a thank you to Grace and Linda and Sean in the back for staffing us, all of our presenters and also um, Kami, I hope I'm saying your name right from Bima. Thank you for holding it down. Um, thank you everybody for being here with us today and our meeting is adjourned at 3.01. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs>